and welcome to episode nine of this Growth Strategist chat series. I'm delighted to be joined today by none other than Gina London. Gina, how are you? I'm great, Simon. Good to see you. It's great to see you. And we've had a few technical hiccups, but it's great that you're here. And so you're an Emmy Award winning uh, former CNN correspondent and anchor. Uh, you're an author, columnist, including with The Independent here in Ireland. You're an international communications expert. You've interviewed and I'm a bit nervous about interviewing me because you've interviewed top leaders and Nobel Prize winners. You're, you've also been featured on the BBC, CNN, and Fox. So if there's anybody I need to talk to about communication and the language of leaders, it's you. So I'm honored. So welcome again. Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Really, it is. No, it's great. It's great to talk to you. So maybe just for the first few minutes, just if you could just give the audience a little bit of a background as to you and, 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 and how you got to where you are today. Sure. And I think the first thing to keep in mind is as a leader, my number one characteristic that I would encourage my clients to adopt is a humble mindset. So you've never got it all figured out. You're always eager to continue to learn. And that takes me back to when I was a little girl growing up in Indiana in a small town called Farmland. It's not just the descriptor, it's actually the name of the town. And my desire to learn was to be able to expand my horizons, travel around, and I thought my vehicle for that would be through journalism. Yeah. So I majored in journalism. I ended up working through, long story short, a local newscast in, in Washington, D.C., and then I ultimately became a writer and then a reporter for okay. CNN and the Washington Bureau. And the ability then to develop myself as a writer, a compelling, hopefully, speaker, kind of trying to find the essence of stories to make even the most complex somewhat um, relatable in a minute and 30 when you're doing live breaking news. And that was the situation in CNN as I covered big stories of Monica Lewinsky and President Bill Clinton, of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. The ability to be in big news breaking situations, but also try to be connecting to an audience that was virtual, yeah. which is very relative to these virtual discussions that we have today, yeah. is part of the importance of where I am today. Then after my time with CNN, I was able to then go around in a lot of different countries to help them as an international campaign strategist. So for example, I was able to work with the first women who were running for parliament in Iraq. Right. And I worked with a group of youth organizers in Cambodia to run the first malaria immunization and vaccination project and campaign in that country. And right. as you begin to go, I lived in Egypt. I worked with journalists in Romania. I've worked in Indonesia. As you begin to travel around, mm. one of the things that has really compelled me is there are so much yes, cultural sensitivities and differences and generalizations about countries, but there is also individual personalities everywhere yeah. you go. Yeah. And so as I transition then with what I say is the performativity and the journalistic approach to writing and delivering mm. around with the strategies of how do you persuade hearts and minds through campaigns, yeah. then it's positioned me to help where I am largely today is working with big corporations and executives and leaders and professionals who want to purposefully engage, connect, and in, encourage their teams. Yeah. So that's where I see my fit in communications is from little girl in Indiana 
now living full time in Dublin, but with all these countries and all these great people yeah. in between. Wow. And there are so many things, because I love listening and then connecting in these conversations that, are, that resonated. And, and one, the first one was that, you know, I do a lot of work around coaching, consulting with business schools and corporates and et cetera, and particularly in the international market, because I'm, you know, I'm originally from the UK. I live here in Ireland, the same as you, but I've lived in five countries, the States and Australia, and 99.9% .9 recurring of the 7 billion people on this planet want the same things. They want to love and to be loved, okay? There's no mystery about humankind, right? There are some people who are, you know, just aren't the same place. So most, and, and, and we can generalize about, cultural um, stereotypes but you're so right that it all comes down to the individual so that was the first thing i picked up and then the other thing then is around corporates right so i, I do a lot of work around uh, brand development and um, putting values on brand for a, for a uk-based company and i find that right now c-suites are struggling a little bit because on the one hand they have to and i'll be interested in your thoughts on this they have to manage their expenses um, because they have to right now uh, number two, at the same time, they have to manage their communications and their campaign strategies, being mindful that they have to manage their expenses. But number three, they also still need to keep thinking about the future during this period of uncertainty. So, I mean, is there a, is there a, there is no secret algorithm for how C-suites manage their communication in times like these. But I mean, do you have any observations about this? Are you seeing good companies communicating well, or are you seeing companies just really struggling and covering things up? What would you observe about what's happening in the world right now and how corporates should and could be communicating? Yeah, thank you for that, Simon. There's a lot to unpack in that, but yeah. I think what I'd like to focus on is value-based leadership. Yeah. And I worked before COVID in person with the CEO of a large aviation, interestingly, organization. Yeah. And he could talk all day long about the statistics of aviation and how to run the numbers and the sales and the leasing and all these different components of the business. Yeah. But he was beginning to be asked to give more mentorship style speeches and, to, and his company was expanding yeah. around the globe. And so I said, let's start talking about your values. Mm. And honest to God, this guy's 46 years old and he looked across at me and he said, I've never had to explore this. I've never actually identified this. And that's yeah. a critical starting point yeah. that I think too often is overlooked or it's assumed that it's already been done. And so my first part about how do you get any organization to have a culture of valuing individuals, as you said, yeah. love and be loved. Yeah. That's the number one thing. Yeah. Uh, you can call it whatever you want. It is That's love. It. We can call it value. We can call it employee engagement. We can businessize, sanitize it, yeah. but it is caring. And yeah. if you don't identify as a leader clearly what it is you stand for and be able to stand behind it, yeah. then the rest of the organization, your comms directors, your HR directors, your people managers, your, your rest of your C-suite might be running around trying to make this culture yeah. be part of it the rest yeah. of the feeling for the employees but that top person or that top senior leadership team they should go through a value discussion and align their values and know what they are don't just put it to a mission statement that's up on a wall who are you how do you live it that to me is the starting place for any real value-based not just lip service don't just yeah. go say black lives matter and then demonstrate through your transactions that you've actually been investing in different types of things that aren't 
demonstrating that. And yeah. I don't want to give example specific examples, but yeah. there are financial institutions in the U.S. that were saying the yeah. CEO was saying one thing. Then you go back and you look at the types of loans and mortgages and things that that organization was handing out over the years, even in recent years, and it didn't match the lip service. Yeah. So what are your values? How do you demonstrate and stand for it purposefully and through your communications and how you behave, how you behave is yeah. part of that, and that's what really drives me. I can see, I can sense and feel, even though we're online, you're really passionate about this. I mean, you do this. I mean, this is your work, but you're really passionate. And as I am, you know, I mean, I, I've been privileged. I've had a, a legal career. I've been count. I was the first legal counsel for Dell here in Ireland. I was head of legal for a big American semiconductor company for Europe, Europe Middle East, and Africa. And I've worked, I've been a CEO for an American company in Australia, and I've seen good leadership and I've seen not so good leadership. And there was a great example when I was senior counsel for this company, a Silicon Valley company called Xilinx. I can mention it because they're a great example. X-I-L-I-N-X. -I -I in Europe, they're based in City West. And the CEO, at, this was 15 years ago, the CEO at the time was a, a, a big, huge, great a guy, a big, uh, a Belgian guy called Wim Rolands. Just a, an amazing, wonderful, lovely guy. And in the campus in Silicon Valley, he put aside his ego, right? And he managed as a leader through vulnerability rather than ego, right? And that didn't mean he surrendered. That didn't mean he gave away trade secrets. But instead of having his posh corner office, he would rotate his office around the campus and communicate with the staff, you know? And, and the other critical thing is that when there was negative news to give, and this is really important, and I know you'll agree with this, is, and Michael Dell, I met with him when I was at Dell, he, he had the phrase, never perfume the pig, right? Yeah. It's bad, bad news. Okay, you need to dress it up in corporate speak and you need to be careful, but don't, don't withhold that from staff because that's the worst thing to do because then whispering starts and then anxiety continues. Do you agree with all that, that the best leaders, they're calm, compassionate, but they're also courageous. If they need to tell bad news, they should tell it. Do you agree with that? Well, calm, compassionate, and courageous. Those were, that was a great alliterative way of getting people behind the idea and conceptualizing what you're, you're speaking of. And I would yeah. agree. For example, I interviewed a couple of years ago, Bill Ford Jr., the executive chairman of the Ford company. Yeah. And as I was doing my research for him, on him in advance of our fireside chat together, I, I was unaware that there had been, I think it was an explosion in one of the factories when he was on campus, but not on that campus. Yeah. And he, immediately went to that site and so he was courageous he went and was compassionate to the yeah. employees that had been injured in the families that would be concerned about that and you could have one could have deployed your pr team or your comms yeah. team or someone else but as the leader you embody the organization that you stand behind exactly. that you stand for and the idea of of activist CEOs now is, is becoming more and more prevalent. The Harvard Business Review did an article on it recently about the different types of CEOs who are making social justice, not mm -hmm. just part of their company, but also connecting with them. Yeah. And I've always said to my clients, you don't have a personal life and a professional life. You just have a life. And especially now in COVID where the fragility of life is at the forefront and the uncertainty yeah. of how we work and family members coming into shots in various yeah. places are that blend and that blur i think has never been more pronounced yes. so if you cannot again be courageous 
remain calm when you need to because you are that leader. You can't yeah. always be the one leading with your emotions. I actually spend a lot of time in my practice around developing authenticity and understanding yes. what that means. You, as a leader, can't fall apart in front of your team, even if you yeah. might be having stress in a personal situation, which is why professional coaches and neutral third-party partners are so important for leaders. Yeah. But the idea of being courageous and being someone who is compassionate is critical. And we've seen it never more dramatically than during this time. Absolutely. And, you know, I think in 20, 50 years time, when the history books look back on this, period, I mean, this is a pivot period, right? I mean, it goes without saying. This is probably the first Hopefully. time. Hopefully. Hopefully. There's, there's a bit of... There's a bit of, skip, uh, of cynicism in me, having seen and covered crises as a reporter, oh, and then the the the, dis, the what's the word I want the juxtaposition but, between chronic problems and crises. I know. Will it be lasting? Will some of these these more compassionate Zoom calls and and mm. Friday huddles and the things that companies are doing to engage remote working teams will they be carried on? will we go back to normal? I hope not. But yeah, I hope not either. I, to guard against. I hope not either. And what I do see though, I mean, this is the first time, and this is not in doubt, that all 7 billion people on this planet, none of us will forget 2020. I mean, I don't think there's been a time in history, even during world wars, there were parts of the world that weren't really impacted. And so that alone, hopefully, I'm an optimist like you, hopefully that does impact something. So, so just back to, to leadership, um, I know you do a huge amount of work and you have a whole program and online stuff around the whole language of leadership. Mm -hmm. and, and that fascinates me because I've been a CEO and I've been a legal counsel, so I'm, I'm careful with my words, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm learning this whole media stuff and podcast and radio, and, and so I know how to speak as a, as a C-suite person, uh, but is there a difference between how C-suites should be speaking through the language of leadership or, or media people? Is there a difference or are there general, general traits that come through the language of leadership? The language of leadership approach is an idea of thinking about yourself as a performer in many ways yeah. all the time. And it isn't to say this is where I get into the combination of authenticity versus developing your authenticity, intentional. Yeah. versus default, reactive versus responsive. And all of those are important things to consider when you are taking on the ownership of mm. demonstrating outwardly the internal values that you have identified. Mm. So what that means is you're never not on. You're never not communicating. Yeah. You are always communicating something. Even if you sleep and you snore next to somebody, yeah. you're <laughs> yeah. but your body language your posture, your gesture, your expressions, yeah. your looking like you're bored when someone else is talking face, and leaders do that. I know. Leaders don't necessarily always take on this awareness that other people are looking to them. And, and by the, the way, leaders- and that's the, and that's the point, because leaders have to have followers. <laughs> yes, and by the way, what I was gonna say real quickly to, to anyone who thinks, well, I'm not a leader, therefore it doesn't apply to me. Yes, you are. If you interact with another human being, virtual or in person, you are impacting them. Therefore, you have an opportunity to lead. Lead yeah. just means to engage or empower, or hopefully elevate yeah. other people and bring them with you. So how do you do that? Well, you do that by heightening your awareness 
around the various holistic ways that you communicate. Yeah. There's a strategy, there's a structure, there's a delivery. Under delivery, there's the content, the words that you talked about choosing. There's your vocal variety, the way in which you choose to enunciate or push a word or emphasize a word or the tonality. And then there's, of course, as I mentioned already, the body language. And this is not to have people think, oh my gosh, that's so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But it's an opportunity to say, aha, I can develop this skill alongside and incrementally and specifically the way I've developed whatever competency I have in whatever role I'm doing. I wasn't born knowing IT. I wasn't born knowing biotech. I wasn't born knowing whatever fill in the blank industry. Therefore you can develop your language of leadership Mm. in much the same way. I a hundred percent agree, you know, and it's funny, you know, I, you know, as I said, I've, I've been privileged through this two podcast series and there's more coming as well in collaboration with some great leaders, but that's for another day. So I've interviewed some amazing leaders, right? And, and I've spent 36 times looking at a screen one-on-one with people like you, right? And so I'm, what, I'm also watching and observing. And I noticed with you, Gina, that you're extremely purposeful and precise in your language, but also it, it, it honestly doesn't sound forced. It doesn't sound, you know, it sounds authentic. And that was my observation, by the way. And that... I don't hear that in all leaders. Okay. So everybody has a, has a way to go to improve. And, and yeah. you're so right. You're, you're so right. I mean, I started a career, a year, a 15th career in radio a year ago on community radio. And the first couple of sessions, I was so nervous and I had questions and I was looking down and I've learned as the years gone by, and I'm now working for a couple of radio shows and doing these is that just be yourself, have a few hook questions. I've got some questions behind, nobody can see but don't obsess about them. Use them as just a, a fluid hook, but focus on listening. Listening is the key thing. You know, that's the key thing. And so, so impactful communication. I mean, do you, this whole online world, right? It was interesting. One of the people I interviewed was a guy called Ted Rubin, who's the CMO of Photify in the States. I think it was he who said it, and he's now a good friend, was that in some respects, the younger generation find it easier to form trust online than face-to-face. I don't know whether that's right or wrong, but, but my sense is, having done these, is when you're sitting here and you and I are 100% focused on each other for 20, 30 minutes, right? There's no distractions. Uh, and also we've done our research on each other before here. So I think there's something in that, that there, even though, of course, we want to be face-to-face and be in cafes together and on stage, I think we've underestimated the power of communication online. Well, what do you think of that? Do you think there's some upsides to being online? Well, again, you are you are terrific at, at bringing in lots of little components to the, your question, Mr. Simon. So let me see if I can take <laughs> apart a couple of them as I go to where I'd like to, to end up. The overarching answer on that is I do believe that we are experiencing a new, soon-to-be-studied in all sorts of different academic journals. Yeah era of this style of communication because as you said all seven billion people on the planet to a certain degree who are remote working and that sort of thing and forming new relationships like you and i are purely virtually are discovering what that might mean and the research back to your friend that you mentioned who said that the millennials might might be better the younger generation might be better at it and that we are more accustomed to that initial anyway face to face and the power of that type of interaction a good friend of mine is a Harvard researcher and he actually wrote a book 
on that very topic. And the study said, of course, face-to-face -face is beats virtual. However, yeah. we're at a new starting point now, aren't we? Mm -hmm. We haven't had this kind of experience. So yeah. we're going to have to roll that kind of research in to what does virtual connections mean like? And I think it yeah. goes back to one of the words that you said, and that was focus. Mm. And back to what you said too, is like, oh, Gina, you, you look like you're, you're really engaged and it sounds authentic. Well, that's because I'm super focused right now yeah. and really trying to actively listen to what you say, being yeah. mindful of the points I want to make, but also not driving ahead message so much that I'm not paying attention to yeah. what you're saying and what the listeners and viewers will eventually be hearing and, and getting and receiving from us. So yeah. it's that real connection commitment. Yes. And that's why you can stay one, anyone, my clients, I say, you can say the corporate can speech over and over and over again. If you remind yourself that somebody out there is hearing it for the first time. And yeah. so therefore you owe it to them to say it with the same level of passion and commitment you might've felt the first time you heard it. Exactly. And that's not being inauthentic. That's reawakening your authenticity. It's purposefully yeah. demonstrating value. And those are some of the key, key ingredients about how do we engage in virtual land? How yeah. do we take ownership of being broadcasters now? We're all broadcasters. It doesn't matter if you do a podcast or not. Yeah, yeah. If you're standing behind a screen like I am right now, yeah. looking at somebody else in the screen, I, for example, purposefully am looking at my camera yeah. I'm not looking at my image or your little image, your little yeah. tile most of the time because cheating to the camera makes it look like to you that I'm addressing you. My eyes yeah. aren't wandering all over the place. I'm trying to really make love to that camera for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great point. And um, you're, you're so right. So in terms of, I always ask everybody just in wrapping up, if you were going to go back to talk to say a 20 year old version of yourself right and knowing what you know about the world right uh the good and the not, not so good things what two or three words of wisdom would you whisper in that 20 year old gina's ear to set you up for as much success as possible two or three words of wisdom network consistently and with commitment yeah. don't stop and i don't mean network in the clinical yeah. mechanical potential definition of the word i mean make excel spreadsheets or find some app where you can go through your list and expand your circles because networking is just another word for making friends and friends want to help friends and especially now we're so much i think more collaborative yeah. through covid and that common bond that we have people are open to Hey, Simon, would you like to do it? Yes, I would. Yeah. I mean, and, and if I had been, I think anybody that I've ever met who's propelled themselves along the way or become a success, they'll, they'll acknowledge that they didn't do it alone, that they did it through a referral or a, yeah. hey, you need to meet this person or an introduction. So you owe it to yourself. Invest in yourself by mm. reaching out, using LinkedIn as a tool, network and meet and then continue to meet and then follow up and don't just do a one-off and it takes a lot of work and i'm not yep. perfect at it by any means but boy i think if i had been doing the type of active networking that i'm committed to now yeah back when i was 20 who knows it but network is making friends yeah. making committed friends making committed relationships i think that's Absolutely. why we're all here
Absolutely. And, 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 and I'm living proof of that because, you know, I started these podcasts and I connected to, there's a website called globalgurus.org and I connected to these people and 34 out of 37 have said yes. Right. And as a result, I'm now in those LinkedIn conversations and I've noticed, and, and, you know, I'm getting offers to do stuff and I've noticed, I never realized this before that those 0.0.1% of global guru thought leaders, they all interview each other. They all stick together. So, so that's what you do. You try and get through the front door and then you have that conversation. And once you're in, you stay there. So you're so right. So it's, it's been really, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I actually look forward to listening back because you're, you're so very, very good at being precise, thoughtful, linear in your thinking and, and, and it's just inspiring. So how do people find out more about you and your work? Thanks, Simon. And I'll give a quick tag on to what you just said, because I've been told before, and other people will comment on people that they perceive are, are good speakers or have been compelling keynotes. Yeah. Oh, there's something natural. And I would always encourage you to remind yourself that no, this comes with practice and dedication and recommitment yeah. and all the things we've talked about. It's a developable skill. Yeah. And so speaking of developable skills, languageofleadership.org is my brand new video online incremental learning platform where you can go through month by month, course by course, professional presence, presentation, storytelling, body language, even business writing. I really do cover it all so that you can begin to heighten your awareness incrementally and then apply the knowledge so that you're learning just the same way you'd learn a foreign language or play an instrument little by little application over time languageofleadership.org i'm going to look at that this weekend Please do. <laughs> I will. Please do. well it's been great talking with you and i know we'll keep in touch there's a couple of things i yeah. want to talk to you about later but that's been great and uh, and thanks so much for your time gina thank you absolutely thank you thanks a lot